Welcome to Bold Faith with Courage Molina, a place where you get empowered and equipped to be who God has called you to be, do what God has called you to do, and go after everything he said you can have without hesitation or apology. Let's go. All right, let's get into this week's sermon. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I am so excited to have you. I am Pastor Courage Molina, and this is Bold Faith Community Church. Welcome. As you come in, go ahead and drop in the chat where you are joining us from. We are so excited to have you. Bold Faith Community Church is a virtual church, and our mission is pretty simple here. We want to introduce you to Christ and we want to help you learn how to study the Bible because it is our aim that every Christian in every household would be equipped to rightly interpret the word of God and apply it to every area of their life. So that's what we do here. And if you're about that, then guess what? You are in the right place. You might want to know how can you become a member of a virtual church? Well, it only takes a few things. Attendance, are you coming every week? We're here Saturday, 8 a.m. EST, live in the chat. We also have Mornings in the Word, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. EST, right here. And Wednesday night Bible study, 7 p.m., and that's done during um, via a Zoom. So you want to get plugged in, you can go to boldfaithchurch.org. Uh, that's one of the ways that you can join. That's one way to be a member. Like, what does it mean to be a member? That means you're attending. You're coming. You're involved. It also means you're serving. If this is your home, then this is where you serve. And you can go to boldfaithchurch.org to find out how you can get connected and how you can serve. This is your church. Then you also sow your seeds here. You can pay your tithes and offering at that same website, boldfaithchurch.org. So you can get connected and so that you can be a part of what God is doing in and through this church. Um, I think I just have one announcement today. We are going to just so you know, we're going to be in Romans chapter one, verse 17. So you can be getting that ready as I get my announcement ready. <clears throat> I feel like I have a little frog. I don't know why people say frog. Maybe because you sound like a frog. I don't know. In my throat. Got a little frog in my throat. Um, what's my, let, let me get to my announcement. What is my announcement? Oh, so excited. Courageous Discipleship 2024 is now open. If you've come through Courageous Discipleship before, then Legacy is available to you. This is really uh, where you're going to take your ability to study the Bible to the next level. Now, listen, you can certainly come to church every week and it is wonderful. And we are breaking down the word of God. But if you are ready to accelerate your growth, you want to get Bible study methods, exactly what to do step by step to transform, then this is the place for you. Courageous discipleship. I say all the time that Sunday church, and in our case, Saturday church, is just not enough. You already know that there's something that you've been through that you've experienced, and the faith that you built on Sundays alone was just not enough. When the storms of life came raging, it probably threatened your faith. You were acting like you were going to die. You know what I mean? Oh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> but if you can learn how to study the word of God and you build a habit of being in that word every single day, that'll change you. Um, courageous discipleship is going to change how you approach 
the word of God. Um, my my students call it seminary school. It's not that deep. It is intense. It's a 16-week biblical studies intensive. So it is intense. The legacy program is over 12 months. So if you're interested in that, you can go to couragemolina.org. I think it is time for us to get into it. I don't have any more announcements. I'm just ready to go. I don't think I have any more announcements. If I do, I'll give them at the end. I am going to be reading from the ESV today. This is the ESV. Let me make sure because it's just my little journal. Yes. I'm going to be reading from ESV today. Let's get into this background though. and get my notes. So excited about this. All right. So we've been in Romans for a little bit now, a few weeks. If you haven't seen, if you haven't been here, if you didn't watch the replay, there is a playlist on the church's uh, YouTube channel. You can go there and pick up the ones that you need, get the one that you haven't seen because you don't want to miss it. Okay. So the book of Romans is a letter. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. And the reason that he wrote it is to unify them, to let them know that he's coming, um, to encourage them and tell them that he's looking forward to being there. Now, the Roman church was started by um, Jewish converts that were uh, in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost. And when they returned home to Rome, they returned home with the way or the gospel about Jesus Christ. And that's how the church started. So this is a church that Paul has not visited yet. But he's been wanting to visit them and he just wants them to know he has been um, unable to get there. But the, the majority of his letter is really going to be about encouraging them in the gospel. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, which he says he introduces himself in these first 16 verses. And he doesn't just introduce himself like I'm Paul, the apostle. We can see Paul's mindset here. Right. We're because we're basically still in the introduction. We haven't really gotten to the meat of it yet. Um, and then we get to verse 17. Let me take some time. I think I might read all 17 verses. Let's do that. Let's read all 17 verses. Uh, we'll start with chapter one, verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from, our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts, some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under ob obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here's our verse for today. For in it, the righteousness of God, he's talking about in the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. Okay, so what does this say? You know, we asked this text three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? And why does it matter to us? Which really is about like how we can apply it. So what does it say? The gospel, he's talking about the gospel and he's saying that the gospel shows it is through the gospel that the righteousness that comes from God, not the righteousness, even though it says the righteousness of God, it means of God to mankind, not God's righteousness in the sense that it's a personal attribute, right? It's a gift. The gospel shows the righteousness that God gives us. That's what the gospel shows, okay? This God type of righteousness, if you will, only happens by faith and cannot be earned by human efforts. It cannot be reached through human efforts. Paul reminds them that those who are righteous, those the ones who are recipients of this God kind of righteousness, live by faith and not through and by human efforts. So then that begs the question, well, what exactly is righteousness? Righteousness in the Greek is closely related to justify. If you think about justify, it's a technical legal term. It means that there was a guilt there was evidence, right? So then you were sentenced and then there was a swap. That is what it means to legally justify, right? There was a there was a crime committed, you were found guilty. God made you righteous through the swap of Jesus. Your sin has been switched out for Christ's righteousness. It puts us in complete standing. This God type of righteousness that he's talking about in this verse, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. This righteousness that Paul is referring to is a righteousness that makes us, that puts us in right standing right now, even though the process is not complete. So you get full credit today, but the work's not done. There's a status update. You get a status update. So from sin, sinful to righteous, you get a status update today, but there's still work to be done. It reminds me of the story with Jacob and his two wives. I don't know if y'all remember this. So Jacob went after he fled because, you know, Esau was going to kill him or he thought Esau was going to kill him or maybe Esau planned to kill him. I think he planned to kill him. So Jacob leaves. He goes to stay with his uncle Laban. When he gets to his uncle Laban, he sees Rachel. He wants to marry her. She's beautiful, whatever. So he tells his uncle, you know, I want to marry her. He's like, yeah, okay, cool. You can marry Rachel, but you got to work for seven years. So Jacob works first for the thing that he wants, the thing that he desires. He works for seven years. And then at the end of that seven years, it's time for the wedding. They get ready to have the wedding. They go into the wedding tent. It's obviously super dark in the wedding tent. 
because after they consummate the marriage, when he wakes up, he realizes it's not Rachel who he wanted. It's Leah, her older sister, who is um, got a great personality. Okay, Leah's got a great personality. Rachel's beautiful. Leah's got a great personality. Catch my drift. Okay. So then Laban's like, okay, wait, step. No, um, Jacob's upset. He's like, why would you do this to me? I worked seven years for Rachel. What's your problem? And he's like, because it's not our custom that the younger one would get married before the older one, but fulfill your wedding, your marriage week with her and then whatever. Right. And then you can work for me for seven more years. So then Jacob gets Rachel as his wife. He gets what he wants first, and then he has to work it off. His marriage, that first situation with Leah, is what man's efforts look like. Well, if you want something, whatever it is you want, if you want to get out of debt, if you want to heal, if you want to do whatever it is, you've got to work for it. You've got to work towards it and then you get it, right? Are you guys familiar with that? That's how the world works. That's how the world works. I got my air quotes up. You work for it. And then at the end, if you've done the right amount of work, if you've done the right things, if you've done everything just right, then you get the prize or then you get the desired outcome. But this type of righteousness is very similar to how Jacob got Rachel, where he got Rachel first. He still had to work for her. He couldn't just say, oh, I got this and now I'm done. I don't have to do anything. But he got that thing which he desired. His status changed, right? It's like getting the body that you want today and then having to work to maintain it. It's not, it don't work that way, right? For the most part, we got to work for something and then we get the outcome that we want. But this righteousness that Paul is talking about is a righteousness that puts us in, fur, in right standing with God right from the start then there is work to be done. I wonder which way you prefer. If you prefer to do the work and then get everything you want, if you prefer to do things the hard way. Now I know what you might say off rip, right? Like right off the gate, you're probably like, no, of course not. I would love to get the prize first and then work for it. But is that true? Is it true that you'd actually like to do the work? Is it true that you'd actually like to get the prize before you do the work? Are you suspicious of things that come easy? And I'm not saying that we should not have a healthy sense of suspicion. I'm just asking. When God is giving you grace and mercy, do you feel like it is undeserved? When you get an opportunity that doesn't match your credentials, your experience, or your training, do you feel like you somehow have to earn your space there, even though God brought you there? When you are elevated in a space, when you have the opportunity to do something that your work ethic has not gotten you to, I haven't worked hard enough to get there. I don't have the numbers for that. Do you then become suspicious? Are you then, or do you become um, do you become like self-conscious, right? You start to struggle with this imposter syndrome. There's no way that I can have this level of impact and influence. There's no way that I can have this level of income. I haven't earned the right to charge that yet. I haven't, nobody. Okay. That's just me. That's cool. Because what I'm saying to you is that because of how this world works and how we've been trained and what's been ingrained and indoctrinated into us, we are very weary of anything leery of anything that comes easy, 
Even though the Lord says my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Even though the word says anyone who shall call on the name of Jesus, we still kind of expect for people to do the work. Well, you got to get yourself right before you come to church. You got to get yourself right before you come back. Well, she's doing all of those things. So she needs to stop doing all of those things. Well, he's been doing this, that, and the third. So he needs to get that right before he can come to Christ. Before he can take this position, before he can step into this, he needs to prove himself. She needs to prove herself. That's the conversation and that's really the expectation. But like the word of God says, God's ways are not our ways. So that's not the way his righteousness works. How does it work? It works first through justification, which we've already said that righteousness in the Greek, though the word does not look like justify in English, righteousness and justify righteousness and justification don't seem like they go hand in hand uh the, they have the same greek root okay so they are very similar in the greek because it's a legal term and so we start with this righteousness of god that we are given it starts with a justification it's god's grace and mercy that moves us from a state of sin to a state of grace. It happens immediately when you accept Christ. You go from, it changes the condition that you're in. You're in the condition of sin. It moves you to the condition of righteousness. It is it, This justification is an act of acquittal, right? You are acquitted. Do you understand? Legal term. You are acquitted of the charge of you are acquitted and it changes your status from sinner to righteous immediately when you come to know Christ. It's a change of your status. You haven't really, the process isn't done. Bear with me. The process isn't done. When you say, oh, God, I ask you to come into my life and be the head of my life. I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe that your son Jesus died for me on the cross that you raised him again on the third day. And I ask him now to come and be Lord of my life, to be my savior. I accept the gifts of grace and mercy and salvation that you've given me in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You say that, but you believe that done. You're not wrong. Now you haven't earned anything. You haven't done anything. It's no work. It ain't no work. It's the work just getting started. That's how righteousness works. You get full benefits of righteousness the minute that you become saved. This is the type of righteousness. This is the righteousness that he's talking about here where he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, our status change is revealed in the gospel in the good news about Jesus, where Jesus has taken on our sin, has died, and God has raised him from the dead. And since we've given him our sin, we have taken on his righteousness. That's what happens. Now you get a status change. So it first starts with justification, which is a change of status from sin to grace, from sin to righteousness, from being a sinner to being righteous. Then there is this regeneration that takes place. And I, I just want to go through this because I know, I feel like it's not, we don't really hear it a lot. I know that I certainly haven't taught on it a lot, that salvation is not the end. 
Salvation is the beginning. So yes, I get full benefits for being righteous as of right now, but there is a process that's taking place. Starts with justification. Then we go to regeneration. This regeneration is all Holy Spirit. It's no work of you. It's nothing that you can do. You're not contributing. You're not partnering. It's none of that. It is all the work of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is where you become a new creature. For old things have gone away. You are a new creature. You become a new creation. You have died to sin. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Holy Spirit raises you to life with Christ. It is not dependent on work at all. There isn't anything that you can do for it. Once I accept salvation, the Holy Spirit does. Once I'm justified by God, right? Once I accept this and now I'm no longer a sinner, I'm now righteous. The Holy Spirit does this regeneration that raises me to life in Christ. That's when the sanctification process starts because we may be new creation, but we're not necessarily walking in our deliverance. We may be righteous and we may be free from slave, but we are from from sin. We may be free from sin, but we're not necessarily walking in the freedom that salvation brings. And that is when the sanctification process begins. Okay, sanctification. It is really sounds so super spiritual, but it is really setting apart for God's special use and for God's purpose. I've taken have all these have all these pens. Got all these pens, right? Got all these pens. Sanctification means I've taken these pins to be used for a special purpose. I'm going to use this to highlight my Bible. I'm going to use this for my journal. I'm going to use this for whatever. I've taken it out. I've set it apart. I've set it aside for my for my special use and a purpose that I have. I have a purpose for it. That is what that does with us through the sanctification process. So we are sanctified kind of immediately, right? The minute that you become one with Christ, you've been sanctified, which means you've been set aside for God's purpose and for his special use. However, it does, it is a process, right? It's two things. It's immediately done. You are immediately set apart and it's a process. The Holy Spirit does the work to make us more like Christ in the sanctification process, we participate. And our participation in sanctification is required. And so it requires us to decide that we're going to turn away from sin and we're going to turn away from this sinful lifestyle and we're going to start practicing these spiritual disciplines because the spiritual disciplines are the practical tools of sanctification given to us by God. I hope y'all are still following me. I know this is super teachy today. Hope y'all are still with me. Drop a heart if you're still with me. If I have lost you, um, start dropping your questions and plan to join us. <laughs> start dropping your questions. Start writing your questions and plan to join us in the conversation. I know it is super teachy 
today, but it is required. This is what's required on the day. Every I can't yell every week. This is what's required today. So if you're with me, okay, I see some of y'all are with me. Okay, okay, okay. All right, let's just do a quick recap, right? Let's just do a quick recap because I feel like, oof, where are we at? For in it, the righteousness, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, which begs the question, what is the righteousness of God? What exactly is the righteousness? So the righteousness of God is something that provides us, that changes our status from sinner to righteous when we accept Christ as our Lord and Spirit. It also it also means that there is work yet to be done, right? There's still work to be done. The perfect example is with Rachel. So Jacob gets Rachel. He gets exactly what he wants. We want to be free from sin. We get exactly what we want. We get the prize right at the beginning. Then there's some, then there's a process, right? Then there's some work to be done, but you're not working for the prize because you already have it. We are not working for righteousness because we already have it. We are working from righteousness, okay? When you come to know Christ, you're not working for righteousness. You are working from righteousness. So now that I have this, now that I've been justified, now that I've been made new in Christ, now that I've been set apart by, I've been set apart for special use by God, I've been set apart for a purpose, there is this process that happens with the purpose. And the Holy Spirit does the work on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit does this sanctification inside of you so that you can become more like Christ, but it requires your participation. Your participation is required. You have to also turn away from a sinful lifestyle. This is the sanctification process. This is not salvation. We got that. This is the sanctification process, meaning I'm turning away. I'm not going to be cursing anymore. I'm not going to be out here thotting and bopping. I'm not going to be out here with, I'm not going to be out here, um, you know, shacking up and having sex and being promiscuous. I'm not going to be out here gossiping. I'm not going to be out here manipulating, right? I'm turning away from this sinful lifestyle and I'm going to start practicing these spiritual disciplines. Now we're practicing these spiritual disciplines because these are the tools that God has given us to aid in the sanctification process. These are the tools that have been given to us by God. So then that begs the question, well, what are the spiritual disciplines? And this is really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time, the rest of our time, I should say. Spiritual discipline. I don't know if you've been taking notes. Hopefully you have a spiritual discipline number one. And I want you to understand, I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. This is not about us working for righteousness because the God type of righteousness, this God kind of righteousness is a righteousness that changes our status from sin to grace. We go from sinner to righteous. We take all of our sin, all of our guilt, and he exchanges it. He puts it, he attributes it to Christ. All of our sin, he attributes to Christ. And all of Jesus' righteousness, he attributes to us. So there's a swap. That happens right from the beginning. So now from this place of righteousness, 
the Holy Spirit has made me a new creation. And now I can begin to participate in with the Holy Spirit and becoming more like Christ. I can't do that until I'm justified. I can't do that until I get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to guide you, to dwell in you, to speak to you, to intercede for you. That is a gift that comes through salvation. So now that I have it, I can start on this journey of sanctification, although I'm getting benefits already. Okay, this is a partnership. Sanctification is a partnership between the Holy, between Holy Spirit doing a work in us to make us more like Christ and our active participation, our active collaboration and turning away from a sinful lifestyle and practicing spiritual disciplines. And these spiritual disciplines are practical tools that God has given to us for sanctification. So spiritual discipline number one for our sanctification is reading, studying, and being taught the Bible. I said, yes, I take the Lord in as my Lord and Savior. Now starts the work of sanctification and it starts with reading studying and being taught the Bible. It's going to show us who God is. It's going to show us what God has done and it's going to teach us how to live. Spiritual discipline. You want to become more like Christ. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is the process by which we become more like Christ. We've been called to be followers. We've been called to be disciples. We've been called to live a certain lifestyle. That's where you hear this thing called Christian living. It's not just turtlenecks and, you know, Hallmark movies, right? It's a way that we live our life. And if you want to be more like Christ, you want to participate in the Holy Spirit. It means that you are reading, studying, and being taught. Most of you are probably reading if you're here, you're being taught. My question is, are you studying, right? Some of some are just being taught. They're not reading and they're not studying. Or some of you are only studying. You're not being taught. It's all three, okay? Reading, studying, and being taught the Bible. It's going to reveal to us who God is, what he's done, and how we should live, how we need to live. Um, how, who we're going to be modeling our life after, what is in the will and the way of God for our day-to-day -day living. It's going to show us how to live, right? So the first spiritual discipline is reading, studying, and being taught the Bible. The second spiritual discipline is prayer. Because prayer reveals our faith in God to do what only God can do. I become more like Christ when I go to God in prayer because it reveals the faith that I have. It puts my faith, prayer puts my faith to work because I, it means that I believe that God is going to do what only God can do. What's your prayer life like? Maybe your prayer life is great, but you're not really reading, studying, and being taught your Bible. Prayer implies that we know there's a God that hears us, we are praying because there is something that we need, something that is impossible for us to do on our own. We don't know how it would happen. We don't know how to do it. We, If God don't do it, it won't get done. And so now we're taking this to God. We are praying to him because we believe that he can do it. 
We believe that he's going to do what only he can do. Not just that he can, but that he will. The next tool in our toolbox is fellowship. Now, this is probably a really, probably one of my favorite ones. Fellowship. That's not coming to church. That's fellowship is not church attendance. Fellowship is not going to conferences. Fellowship, it ain't going to Bible study. It's a means. It is a means to fellowship, but attending church, you've been attending church every week. And so you feel like, oh, you know, I'm checking this off. Going to church every week does not necessarily make you more like Christ. I know y'all know that. Y'all know people who go to church every week and they are not, they don't reflect, you know, Christ, right? Fellowship is about loving people, <laughs> loving, loving our church family, loving the church community. When I say church, I don't mean within the four walls of the church and for us within the four sides of the screen. I don't mean that it, this is not what it's referring to. It is referring to um, people who are believers, right? Fellowshipping, loving them. That is putting our love in action, not just that I have warm feelings for you, but I'm loving you and we love in action. We love with service. We love with support. It says, and bearing with one another. This is this is the part where we're talking about doing life, not just attending. Getting on a phone call, getting in a, getting in a car to go see somebody, sitting across the table from somebody, sharing a meal, sharing a coffee, like whatever, right? This fellowshipping is not just coming to church. Oh, we're going to fellowship. Fellowshipping is not showing love and not bearing with one another. It's showing up and sitting shoulder to shoulder and listening to somebody preach. It's conferences. I'm sitting down. I'm saying, hi, I'm, how you doing? And then I'm going home never to see these people again. Certainly, we know that God did not mean fellowship in that way. Certainly, we know that God is not talking about surface level. That God did not give us fellowship. Don't, don't forsake the assembling together. The getting together, yes, to do things, but it's because we're doing life together. The fourth tool is giving, tithing. That is a spiritual discipline. Giving, tithing, and this is specifically to the church. Not to a nonprofit organization. I think that you know, it's great. God wants us to be generous, right? Not to a nonprofit organization, not to, you know, um, passion projects and things like that. This giving, this tithing reveals the value, reveals that we value the work of God above our own comforts. And I don't mean to imply that um, nonprofit organizations aren't doing the work of God. But the system that God brought up is that you would bring in 10% to his house. And his house is the church. That you would be sowing seeds in the church. Yes, be extra generous and sow seeds and tithe to the church and give to the nonprofit organization. But the tool for sanctification, this tool for sanctification, this giving, this tithing is specifically to the church because it reveals that we value the work of God over our own comfort. 
it's one of the first things that we stop doing. If you are doing pretty good and you're like, you know what, I'm going to start tithing. It's great. It's wonderful. You know, I'm going to start giving. It's one of the first places where we stop giving. Maybe it's not y'all. It certainly it used to be for me. Well, I'm just not, I don't have enough money to do X, Y, Z. So I'm going to pay these things, but I'm not going to tithe because God knows my heart. This, this isn't even about, just so like, this is not about, um, I'm not saying that it's sinful for you not to tithe. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. That's not the point of this sermon though. The point of this sermon, the point of this teaching is that we would understand what the righteousness of God looks like and what our part is in it. It is a gift that 100% comes from God. We own it. We have it. But it also starts a process. And I would be remiss if I didn't teach that today. If I just said, okay, well, this is one verse and the Lord does all this work and then we move on. No, because do you know why? Because those at the time of this reading and it was read aloud. I don't know if you know that letters were meant to be performed, as they say, uh, and they don't really mean like by acting. They just mean that somebody else read it. Somebody went to the church in Rome. There was somebody who sent it and he's like, here, here you go. And they're like, oh, who is this letter from? Oh, it's from Paul. And then they gave it back and then he opens it up and then it's read aloud. Right. So the people who were reading this, the people who were hearing this, they they understood there was this understanding and Paul is getting ready to really lay it all out for us. And the remainder of Romans that this is not just a righteousness where you receive something and then you're done. It's a righteousness that you cannot earn. It puts you in a status that you could not get to on your own. It makes you in right standing with God. And there's no way for you to do that. There are no human efforts that could lead to that place. But it is, my friends, just the starting point. And I would be remiss to not break it down. And I want you to understand that these spiritual disciplines are the sanctification process. Which is required if the purpose is for us to become more like Christ. I understand that people are getting saved so that they don't go to hell. But we're getting saved and we're living this life because we want to be more like Christ. We're saying, I'm going, when we say, I accept you in my life as my Lord and Savior, not just that he died for me, that's the Savior part, but Lord, meaning that I'm going to do whatever you say, that I'm a servant to you. I'm going to make myself, I've asked you to come into my life to be my Lord and Savior, to be my master, be the one that tells me where to go and where not to go, the standard by which I set up my life, how to live, how to think, um, all of these things, because I recognize that your ways are higher than my ways, and I don't want to lean to my own understanding, but I want to follow Christ because all of these things, right, that he's done for me, the, it's, the least I can do is give my life in service. He paid for our life with a price a very high price, right? And so now there's this high calling because salvation sets us aside for special use. And in order for us to be uh, equipped and prepared for this special use and purpose that God has for us, we have to go through the sanctification process. So when I say tithing and giving and giving to the church specifically, I'm not talking about heaven and hell. So I, I don't, I'm not implying that you are going to hell if you are not tithing and giving to the church. I'm saying you are missing one of the tools that God gave you to help you be more like Christ. The next one I have is fasting from food. This increases our sensitivity to the voice of God. 
this increases fasting. I don't know if you've ever fasted from food for any amount of time, but the minute, and I don't mean like, oh, I did intermittent intermittent fasting for a diet or whatever. I mean, the second that you say this fast that I'm doing is dedicated to Christ, this fast that I'm doing is a fast that I'm doing because I want to hear from God. There's something I need. I'm praying. I want to break some. This, that type of fast, it becomes a struggle right on day one, <laughs> right? But if if we will make our flesh come under our command, if we would take control of it and allow our spirit to do something, it increases, it allows us to hear the voice of God clear. There are some things that are broken off of us, that are broken off of things. Like the word of God says, there are some things that only come through fasting and praying. Fasting is one of these spiritual disciplines. If you use this tool that will help you to become more like Christ. I have three more. Sabbath is trusting in God's pace. Taking a day of rest makes us more like Christ because it shows that we are trusting in God's pace. If you think about the times that you don't do Sabbath or you don't take a day of rest or where you're working too much or you're overworking, part of that reason is because you're trying to hurry up and get something done. You want to hurry up and get these results. And in order to do that, you have to ignore the Sabbath set forth by God so that you can work six, seven days a week. Well, because I got to get these errands done because I got to do this and I got to do this. I just cannot afford to take a day of Sabbath rest. Taking Sabbath shows that we trust in God's pace and that we trust him enough to be resting in him. That whatever he has for us, whatever needs to happen is going to happen, even if we take the day that God has given us for rest. The seventh tool is silence and solitude. I love this silence and solitude because it's something that you can do on the Sabbath, depending on when you take your day of Sabbath. It's also something you can do when you're fasting. Those, those are my favorite. If I can do all three at the same time, have silence and solitude. Let me say it's not my favorite experience. <laughs> Let me just back up real quick because I said that and I'm like, mm, that's not what I mean. When I can fast and be on Sabbath and have silence and solitude, I can hear God very clearly. It's not the most exciting experience like while it's happening, but the breakthroughs, the insight, the confirmation, the closeness that I feel with God is unparalleled in those times. I've never felt closer to God than when I was fasting, silence, and solitude, like, and resting, right? Like, all of those together, oh, I never felt. The time, the closeness that you experience, if you do that combination, like, unparalleled. I never feel closer to God than when I do that. And then the last one is your testimony. Testifying is a part of the sanctification process. Sharing the gospel makes you a partner in working with God to extend the kingdom. Sharing your testimony, sharing how God has brought you out, sharing the good news of the gospel. If I'm going to share my testimony, it's only good news if I recognize and I'm able to communicate that I was a sinner. This is what I was struggling with. This is what I was doing. I was a slave to this. And God came in and I deserve death. And God came in and he completely changed my life. Sharing your testimony. 
What you have to know, what you probably realize by now is that sanctification is a lifelong process. So while you are, so while we are made righteous, this God kind of righteousness that gives us the prize at the beginning before the work is complete, right? Gives us the, the prize at the beginning before the work is complete. That's the that's a God kind of righteousness. And so that means that the sanctification is a lifelong process. It is not going to be completed until Jesus returns and makes us and God makes us perfect reflections of Christ. No matter what we do on this earth in our lifetime, we are not perfect reflections of Christ. So that means that the sanctification process, which is the turning away from sin and practicing spiritual disciplines, that is a lifelong, that's Christian living. That's discipleship. That is following the way. That is practicing your faith. Every single day from now until God calls me home, I am turning away more and more from a sinful lifestyle. Not that I won't make mistakes, but I'm turning away from a lifestyle where sin abounds. And I am practicing more and more these spiritual disciplines because these spiritual disciplines in collaboration with the Holy Spirit are working things out of me that keep me from being like Christ. It is um, refining me. It is perfecting me. It is making me more and more like Christ every single day. And I'm going to do this until God calls me home. Not because if I don't do this, I'm not made righteous. I got my righteousness right from the start. And because I am righteous, because of what God did, because of his grace, because he has justified me, I am working from this place of faith to a continued place where I'm going to continue to practice these spiritual disciplines so that I can participate in the sanctification process and becoming more like Christ. The last phase of this is glorification. That is the final stage of salvation. It is what sanctification achieves. But remember, sanctification is not going to be complete until Jesus returns. So glorification is on the other side of eternity. I want to read to you what... Um, Wayne Grudman says about this. I just thought it was a really good. I don't even know where I got it from. Probably from Logos. But I, I want to read this to you. Um, glorification is the final step in the application redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive thereby, giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. That is the glorification. In other words, it is the glorification process reverses the effects of the fall. It's the purging of creation from sin. Okay. And so we've gotten all of this, like she's given us all of this. She's talked about sanctification. She's given us all. Okay. But girl, what does that mean? This verse, you got to know what the words mean in order to understand the verse for it is in right for it, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What does this mean? That the goodness of God 
is righteousness by faith. You'll get treated by God as if the process is already complete, even though we have a long way to go. This type of redemption, regeneration, righteousness, changing in our status from sinful to grace and righteousness can only come by faith. And those who are in right standing, as quoted from Habakkuk, they live by that faith. What does that even matter? Why does that matter? How can we apply this before we get out of here? Um, Belief in Christ and asking him to come into your life as your Lord and Savior, that's just the beginning. Yes, you become righteous, but it's only the beginning. Faith in Christ Jesus and what God did on the cross through Jesus makes you righteous. Okay? It's by faith that you accept it. God has done all the work, but you accept it by faith, by your belief. This type of righteousness, because I am righteous, I live by faith. It requires our participation for the process. I want you to understand that your participation is required for the process and not the promise. It's required for the process. Not, oh, I don't get the promise that God gave me that it would save me. No, your participation is required for the process, not the promise. The promise is already yours. It means that God is calling us to live by the word of God because we are righteous, not to become righteous. The reason that we are going to practice these spiritual disciplines, that we're going to turn away from sin, is not so that we can earn righteousness. This is not the righteousness that Paul is speaking of. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In it, the righteousness for us, the righteousness of God that God has given to us is revealed through the gospel. So we are working from righteousness, not for righteousness. So I guess my question for you is where are you in this process, really? Um, Are you righteous because you've accepted God as your Lord and Savior, but you have a ratchet lifestyle? You saved, um, but you you saved, and so you have this promise, but you're kind of living in the promise uh, in this po- in this poverty sort of way, right? You're not experiencing all the things that you could experience because you just accepted righteousness, but you still continue to live in a ratchet way. Or are you in a place where you are righteous and ready? You are ready to start practicing spiritual disciplines. I'm righteous. I know that God has accepted me. I know that I have been saved. I know that I've been forgiven. I'm chosen. I'm set apart. I know all of these things. I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I am ready to start practicing putting these spiritual disciplines to work. I am ready to start following the way that God has set out in his word. I'm ready to participate with Holy Spirit in my sanctification process, or are you still living in sin and you still have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. Repeat this prayer with me. Father, 
I know that I'm a sinner and I am in need of a savior. God, I ask you to come into my life right now. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me, that you that he rose again. You resurrected him on the third day. Now I want to model my life after you. I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life, to be my savior. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen. Now, if you said it and you believe it, that settles it. Let's go. Welcome. Let me be the first to welcome you to the family. Welcome to the family. Okay. So glad that you are here. Put your hand up in the chat. If you accepted Christ right now as your Lord and Savior, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, go ahead and put your hand up. Send us an email, praise at boldfaithchurch.org. We want to get you connected. We want you to start off with your fellowship, you know, getting connected. We want to love on you, get some resources in your hand that will help you along this journey because your journey is truthfully just beginning. We cannot wait to connect with you. If you have decided Bold Faith Community Church is your church and you want us to know, uh, we would love to hear that. Send us an email, praise at boldfaithchurch.org. We want you to be counted among the number of friends. We don't want you to miss out. We don't want you to miss out. Now, listen, you know that we are not done, that we're going to get into this um, conversation. We're going to get into our virtual small group, and we are really going to be discussing spiritual disciplines today, what they look like, how to get them um, into practice, what are some things that you can do so that you can start practicing the way or uh, start participating with Holy Spirit in the sanctification process from a place of righteousness. We're going to do that in the Zoom. So again, you can go to boldfaithchurch.org, hit join, and it'll give you the Zoom information because we'd love to see you. Now listen, if you love this message and you want to be a part of what God is doing in and through Bold Faith Community Church, we love and appreciate your generosity. You can give at boldfaithchurch.org. We cannot do this work that God has called us to do without you. So be sure to give. If any part of this blessed you, then please be sure to like the video and share it with somebody that you love. Now, listen, we are more than a channel. We are a community here. So be sure to subscribe to the channel. We have prayer calls at 730 uh, on Zoom right before church starts and then we get into church and then we have small group there are so many things that we're doing here as a church and you just won't know it if you're not a part of the community so be sure to subscribe be sure to go to the website and as always thank you so much for choosing Fall faith community church to be here with us to be a part of what god is doing in and through this place and i will see you in the small group all right love y'all see y'all on the inside i think yeah if this episode has blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else so that you too can be a blessing. If you'd like to connect with us and help us to do the work that God has called us to do, you can give at boldfaithchurch.org. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at boldfaithchurch and connect with me at Courage Molina. Thanks so much. Be sure to catch the next episode right here.